Well, we're going to continue to pick up here with the Holy Spirit. And again, that's the most neglectful person maybe in Christianity, the Holy Spirit. And really knowing him and understanding his work in and through our lives. The Holy Spirit directs all the work of God. He directs the people of God, the church of God. He is the one that implicates what Christ secured for us on Calvary. He's the one who takes this salvation and somehow put it into our lives and work it through our lives. He's the one who's applying all the goodness of God to our lives. And it's amazing sometimes how we're not recognizing his presence or his work. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us when he sends us out or sends us to do or sends us to speak? The Holy Spirit leads us. Or we do it on our own. Every Sunday, we meet up there and ask God's blessing. And when we don't meet as a team, we're doing it on our own. If you do it on your own, most likely, God's not functioning. Because God works with his church or with his people. And that's why we gather. And sometime in that little time of prayer up there, we're able to hear someone else's hurt or someone else's pain or somebody else's struggle. And like I prayed this morning, Lord, let us not focus on ourselves. Yeah, we got problems. We have pain. We're going through something. But let us focus on you. That's the important part of collective prayer together in ministry that we team up together to become one that Christ might use us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is the one who leads us or we're doing it on our own. We're doing our thing. And we're saying, okay, God, here I am. I'm working for you. Now you accept it or don't accept it, but this is what you get. (laughs) Or we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, we want to rely on Scripture to reveal to us the will of God in our lives. We go to Scripture asking God to speak to us so we might do what is pleasing in His sight. That's our purpose of going to Scripture to learn about our God and how God will teach us and direct us in life that we might be pleasing to Him, not to ourselves, Not to ourselves, but pleasing to Him. Now, people can get into church, but Scripture never gets into them. You can be part of a church that doesn't really teach the Word of God, and therefore Scripture doesn't get into the heart and into the mind, and therefore you're still doing what Scripture says not to do. You're leaning on your own understanding. You're not really seeking the ways of God. You're not really leaning upon God. You're leaning on self and trusting self and guiding self with your own rationale, your own reasoning and the quote, quote, unquote, the counseling from your friends and neighbors or whoever else, but not really seeking to hear from God. Not really seeking to hear from God because you're void of the Scripture. So we can get into church, but Scripture never gets into us. And we have to be careful there. Because we want scripture in us. We want the scripture living in us. Now, scripture in and of itself. Now stay with me with this thought. Scripture in and of itself 
is an unfinished product. Scripture by itself is no more than a book of Mormons, no more than a book called the Koran, no more than a Gitna from Hinduism. It's just another history philosophy book. Scripture by itself is unfinished. It cannot work by itself. It can be a bunch of rules to you, but it does not become living water for you. Scripture by itself is non-productive. By itself, it is insufficient for life of the believer and the church. By itself, Scripture contains only a small part of truth that God wants his people to know. The Scripture is complete. Now catch this, because this is the difference between the Koran, the Gitna, any other so-called holy book. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not respond to the Koran. It doesn't respond to the Gitna. It doesn't respond to anything else. What the Holy Spirit responds to is the Word of God. Is the Word of God. What the Holy Spirit carries out and works from and the basis from is always from the, whole, from the Scriptures of God. But the Holy Spirit also takes from the very heart of Jesus and from the Father and gives us more, and I've got to be careful here, than what the Scriptures declare to us in our personal lives. The Holy Spirit will take things that has been built from Scripture and he will add to your life. That your life is complete in that which God has called for you. Okay. Brother Fisher doesn't know all that God has for him at this time in life. But what he does know is the basis. He has the foundation to be launched from. But the one who has to launch him is the Holy Spirit. None of us know the end of our lives. But God the Holy Spirit does, and he also knows what paths he wants us to travel and take. They're not written for us in some degrees in a personal perspective. But they are the basis on which the Holy Spirit starts in order to launch the life that he wants you to live. Go into John 16 and go to verse 12 with me. I want you to catch the very first part of this verse. Because I want you to understand, Scripture in and of itself is insufficient without the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the Word. And Corinthians tells us, men read this Bible, but they have no understanding of it. The reason they have no understanding of it, because it tells us also, because they know not the Holy Spirit. And people struggle saying, I don't understand the Bible. You have to spend time with it. When you first open a math book, you don't understand it. When you first open an English book, you don't understand it. Boy, I flunked English in college three times. 
And the English teacher finally set me down. She said, Gus, whenever you write a paper, whenever you do anything, I want you to use these seven sentences. She gave me basically seven sentences to follow. She said, you can write anything, any paper, by just following these seven sentences. And that's basically what I did. Just because you opened the book does not mean you're going to gather all the understanding. It takes the author of the book to bring understanding and to also validate what is being said in that book. In John 16, 12, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I have much more to say. Well, how's he going to say it? I have much more to say, but I'm going to the cross. I have much more to say, but this is what's going to happen. I have much more to say. So who's going to say it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's why he says later that he will take a mind and he will show it to you. He will speak what he hears from me. Because I have much more to say to you. Much more. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now even bear. So he gave them what they could bear at that moment. But he was not done with them. They were going to receive something else later on after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because his promise was he would not leave them orphans. And his whole promise was that he would send a counselor, someone who would guide them and speak to them. Now go over to John 20, just a couple pages over. And pick up with me the last two verses there, starting in verse 30. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which is not recorded where at. Now, just imagine what kind of Bible you would be carrying around if you, if the Holy Spirit wrote down everything Jesus did and everything he said. How, how big would that Bible be? It'd be like a suitcase. It's not bigger. And he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that ye may believe. He gave us enough information that we might what? Believe. That's the main purpose, that we would believe on him. That we would believe God. He gives us enough information. doesn't give us everything. But he gives us enough to make a decision to believe on him. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. He gave us enough information that by believing in him, we could have eternal life in his name. He gives enough information. Didn't give us everything, but he gave us enough. Go over to John chapter 21. He says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's amazing. There wouldn't be enough room here on earth to shelf all the books written about Jesus Christ and what he's done. 
if everything was written. Boy, that is something to think about. So what we get is a condensed version in the Bible. But in the Holy Spirit, we get the complete version. In the Bible, we get the condensed. But in the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we get it all. As he speaks to us and teaches us and as he guides us and as he ministers to us. Now go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's take a look at it real quick. We're going to pick up in that verse. Oh, let's, let's pick up in verse 6. We have to discern when he is speaking. We have to discern his voice. And it comes through up here, but sometimes we're not recognizing it. We're not recognizing it. And God's not trying to hide. But you know something about a dog? A dog somehow can distinguish his master's voice over all the other voices. It's something about a baby and somehow they lose it as they get older. They can distinguish a mother's voice at a very young age and only that mother can calm that child down. But as they get older, it seems like they lose the sound of that voice. They don't even recognize it no more. <laughs> but at a very young age, it's there. It's there. And oftentimes, that takes place. We know we've been forgiven. We know we've been called. We know these things have happened to us. But somehow, as we walk with him, it seems like he, his voice becomes dull. And we lose the excitement of it. We lose the excitement of it. You have to be one who wants to train yourself to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And to be able to discern it. So, as we pick up in that verse, ah, where am I now? I said 13, I think. Oh, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of the age, of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now of the rulers and of the ages understood it, for it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they would have understood God's message of the Old Testament, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. If they really understood that God was truly sinning his Messiah, born of a virgin, and there was enough signs that was given that people could recognize, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God who was promised to us. But they had redirected their focus to something else rather than just looking for Jesus. And they had no understanding. 
And the church today, we have to ask this. How much of God's word are we understanding? How much are we understanding about God working in our own personal lives? Or is God just sitting up high and we're down low and there's nothing that takes place until I go to heaven? And he goes to that whole little sin that no eyes have seen, no ears have heard. It's because they don't want to see and don't want to hear. But then when he gets into verse 10, he says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. There are things that are going to be revealed to us that can only be revealed by the spirit of the living God. Things are going to be said to us that we'll only hear through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God has to do some drastic things to get hold of our lives. At Chrysler, in one sense, I thought I had hit my gold mine. Being in skilled trade, making the kind of money I never made before. Thought, boy, hey, this is it. Now, it's not written nowhere in that Bible, Gus, at such and such an age, I'm going to call you to go to school. Not written in there. Gus, I'm going to call you to leave your home that you bought. Not written in there. So me and the Holy Spirit, we had a tug of war. And one day I just said, and some of you have heard this story before, I told God, we're going to settle this today. I went down to labor relations at Christ and told them, I want to go to school. You're allowing the Muslim brothers to go up to Chicago for four or five months. I want to go to school for nine months. And the gentleman asked me, he said, yes, you can go and come back work in the summer. Now he said, the next question was, what are you going to major in? Bible and theology, we can't allow that. (laughs) Well, I'm going to use my human rationality now. Okay, God, you're over it all. If you really wanted me to go to school, you would have had that man say, yes, well, I could come back and work three or four months and take care of my family, still have a decent job. Lord, this is what would happen. I left out, and I just said, Lord, that settles that. I'm not going to school. That Friday, I get a layoff slip. And the surprising part, it stops with me. And I go home, I tell Elaine, I don't have a job right now. I've been laid off. And we said, well, let's start calling different schools. Let's start applying. And after we got accepted at one, I said, Lord, I need to go back to work until I go to school. I got a call back on Friday, report to work on Monday. The Holy Spirit's directing all this time. The Holy Spirit's working in my life all this time. That's not written in the book. And the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life. God wants to do something in your life, but it's not written in the book. But the Holy Spirit knows what it is. Because he knows the very heart of God for you. He knows exactly what he wants you to do. And if you pray over it and you seek it, you'll hear it and you'll know it. There won't be no confusion because our God is not a God of confusion. And he'll speak to you. And you'll know it. Come on down, he says, in that verse 10. 
But God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows, he gives this little illustration, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? That only one who really knows the thoughts is who? I don't know Jasper's thoughts. I don't know Larry's thoughts. I don't know the thoughts of some others. But they know their thoughts. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit whom is from God, now catch this, that we may understand what God has freely given who? Given us. God doesn't want you in darkness. God wants you to understand how he wants you to live in a manner that is pleasing to him. He wants you to know how to live as husband and wife. He wants you to understand how to live as a family, a, a, a father, a mother, a children. He wants, you to understand how, he wants you to understand how you relate to your employer. He wants you to understand how you handle your money. He wants you to understand how you handle relationships between men and women. He wants you to understand life. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide you through it. As he opens up the word of God for you. And gives you understanding. That you might please him. See we got this thing all reversed. We think God totally exists to please us. We exist to please him. And he says, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Now catch 14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. He can't accept them because they can't understand them. They can't recognize them. They have no way of even relating to it. But when you're born again, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. He begins to take away all that old stuff in your life. And he says, behold, everything becomes new and it becomes challenging to you and it can become fearful to you because you're walking and living in a different way in life than what you are used to experiencing. Some of you wouldn't know what do or not, 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 not you. But some folks wouldn't know what a day would be like without cussing. They would struggle trying to use good English. Because they couldn't use all them adjectives that they use. And it would be someday for them. Some folks just wouldn't know what to do if they had to sit at home on Friday night rather than get ready to go clubbing Friday and Saturday and close out on Sunday. They wouldn't know how to act. They wouldn't know what to expect. They wouldn't know how to live. Because life would be so different if that shut down for them. And yet, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He shuts down our old life by creating a new life within us. And he says, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the Holy Spirit now, 
He is the one who has to take this word and bring it to life for us. He is the one who takes this thing called salvation and brings it to life for us. For salvation is not the end result. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of a new life that is completely different and strange for us. Because our bodies don't know how to respond to that. For what salvation is demanding of us and asking of us. Now, here comes one of the problems. When you labor over Scripture, when's the last time you sat at your dining room table, your kitchen table, your desk, and labored over Scripture? Really working at it with your mind. What is this really saying? Lord, help me to understand it. Oh, Holy Spirit, teach me. And there's a desire that comes out of your heart that you really want to have insight and depth into what you're reading. That you want to know more than just top surface. That you labor over the scriptures during the week. And then on Sunday, most folks come to church, hear a good sermon, go home and forgot it within the hour. Why pay somebody to teach you something that you're not going to take back home and study it? There's not a professor I had that after I received his lectures that I didn't go back home, go back over my notes, ponder what was said, and try to get a deeper understanding of what he was saying. Why would you pay a pastor to come say a few words to you and you go home and you didn't forgot about it like it really doesn't matter when it's the most important thing you're going to hear most likely throughout the week? Or it should be. That when that pastor stands up there and opens up the Word of God. It should be the most important thing that your ears have ever heard. That they should be burning on the inside, and some thought, something that he has said, should go home with you, and you gurgitate it, you gurgitate it, you constantly bringing it back up, back up, and you're working your way through it. That you're understanding it, and that you're growing. You're talking it over with your wife. You're talking it over with your husband. You're talking it over with your friends. You're calling somebody and asking, Do, can you give me further insight on this? Can you give me further understanding on this? You're opening up this book and you're opening up that book. For me to prepare for the sermons I'm giving, I'm reading five different books on the Holy Spirit. Two of them out of two different camps that I don't totally agree with, but I want to hear from them. Because, again, there is something I can still learn. I can still learn. And I don't want to be narrow-minded, just caught right here. If I'm going to be narrow-minded, it's only going to be because of the Scriptures, and I have to add nothing to it. And the thing is simply this here. You labor over the scriptures. Then on Sunday you come and you're laboring again with conviction. I want to know, Lord. I want to know that it is a convicted heart that says this word is true. And I want to know it. I want to know it from the Sunday school teacher. I want to know it from who are responding in Sunday school. I want to know this and I want to know that. I want to know it because I am convicted that the word is true. And I want insight. Why do I want insight? 
I want insight that I can grow in the grace and knowledge of God. I want insight that I know how to live as a godly woman, as a godly man. I want insight. I don't want to be guessing at this thing. I want to know that I know. And I want death. I want death. A gentleman was my sister-in-law. She was laughing at me because her and Elaine and I, we were running around with Elaine going to different stores. I imagine all five stores I went into, I found a penny. And she said, you just look for pennies? And I just said, pennies become dollars. (laughs) And all the pennies I find, I told her, I put in a cup and I give them to Sister Beecher for the mission. And, and, And the whole process, you may be looking at something that's small, but understand something. You grow little upon little upon little upon little, line upon line, line upon line, scripture upon scripture. You grow. You grow. You grow. And he says, you're going to wrestle with it. You're going to labor with it. You're going to be convicted by it. And you're going to have further and deeper insight. And you're going to gather depth in your walk with the Lord. And you're also going to be able to make application to life. When you read the scripture, be anxious for nothing. What does that mean? Exactly what it says. Now, let's start naming some of the, some of the nothings. Men, don't be anxious for sex. Didn't scripture say be anxious for nothing? Can you apply that in there? Don't be anxious to be rich. Folks that are rich got headaches. Don't sleep well at night. Trying to figure out who's going to steal their money, take their money. Don't be anxious, ladies, for that new dress you saw on the window. Don't be anxious for a new car, man. Nothing wrong taking the bus for a week or two. Don't have to have that car right now. What the Lord is saying, be slow with your decision making. Make a decision, but make sure you have all the facts, all the understanding, everything you need to make a good decision. So he says, be anxious for nothing, because oftentimes you and I, we do what? We run into it. I need it. I want it. I got to have it. Get it home, and then you forgot about it. Be anxious for nothing. That you're able to take Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit and then apply it to your daily life. The life of the believer and the church should be under the control of the Holy Spirit. If you're not under the control of the Holy Spirit where you're saying, Lord, do you want me to do this? Lord, is this the right direction? Lord, is it this? Lord, is it that? And you're saying, do I got to talk to the Lord about everything? It's a good habit to get into. It's a real good habit to get into. And if you get into that habit, you'll be surprised how God leads you. I wanted another truck. Went without a truck for a little bit. And finally one day the Lord just said, there it is. And he gave me a pretty good truck because I waited. The Chevy I drive. Another member of our church loaned me their car. It's not that I didn't have the ability to go out and get a car. I just didn't want to run out and get one. So the Lord allowed me to get a 2010 and 2010 for half the price because I waited. 
the Holy Spirit is there and I'm talking with God. God, should I do this? Should I do that? Yes, I have the liberty and the freedom to go do anything my mind sets itself to do. But it's so much better when I stop and ask God about it. And you're going to see that in the scripture here in just a moment. Sometimes you have to stop life to hear God and see his direction. And the sad part about my hard head sometimes is that sometimes God has to stop me and put me down for me to hear him. Just move on real quickly. The Holy Spirit is a person working on our behalf. Now, this is just some of the things he's doing. He dwells in the believer. He's not in there because he's homeless. He's in there to benefit you. He's made your body his temple that he can benefit you. He dwells in you, in us. Secondly, he teaches. But he also brings to remembrance what he has taught us. Because we forget so quickly. He testifies about Jesus. Two ways. He testifies about Jesus to me. Because I need to know more about Jesus. I just don't need to know the name. I need to know Jesus Christ as my Lord, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer. I need to know Him in all the manners in which He is described. I need to know Him personally. And He's constantly teaching me and testifying to me about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, catch this. That's to me. But He also uses me to testify to others about Jesus. Both ways. He testifies to you. And then through you, He testifies about Jesus. And He convicts us of our sin. When's the last time you've been convicted? I was telling Melvin and Lynn the other day when the guy who broke into the garage and stole all the tools and stole all of this and, and, and the Lord just started speaking scripture to me with Jonah and said, Jonah, when I took that shade tree, you didn't do one thing to get that shade tree. <laughs> now, I appreciate James. And I don't know why the Lord had me do this, but he had me take the big lawnmower out and put it somewhere else. But James gave us a lawnmower and a blower. But the guy stole the blower. Tip Nagy gave us an excellent lawnmower. Pull it one time, that thing starts. Stole it. Melvin gave us all his father's tools. Man, we had the tools laid out that we could do anything with. Stolen. He came back within two weeks, Charles, and finished helping himself, even took the gas can that he didn't take the first time. And I wanted to get mad, but remember what I told you, and I had to remind myself what I even said to you, that when we start speaking on the area of the Holy Spirit, Satan's going to attack, because Satan doesn't want you to know the power you have in the person of the Holy Spirit. So he wants you to realign your focus and see something else. And he gets you distracted and off track. Because I could be saying, Lord, why did you let this happen to us? Lord, you were in control here. Why didn't you have us come by? Lord, why did you allow this man to do this? Lord, why did you allow this and allow that? Now I've lost focus. Because, see, we as a church didn't buy anything that the man stole. God gave it to us through other individuals. God gave it to us. And I could have been so upset, so angry, that I lose focus on studying the things I need to be studying 
and the things I need to be doing and regurgitating the things I need to talk to myself about before I even talk to you. I could have lost all that. But he keeps us focused. It's on him. He inspires scriptures. He talks to us. And praise God he does, because boy, don't we need to be reminded. He calls us into ministry. That's not just pastoral. He calls God's people into different areas of ministry. Now, this is the thing that we don't like. When God gives us an assignment, that's tough. When you deal with people, basically, I'm a loner. Basically, I'm nervous every Sunday when I come up here. I'm scared to death of y'all. Basically, you can ask Elaine. I can go in a room, me and John Wayne can enjoy the day. Because really, Gus doesn't want to see you folks. But this is what I've been called to do. Interact, touch life with you, hear your problems, hear your stories, see what's going on in your life. And that's just part of it. I've done so much counseling one day, Elaine can tell you, I just have to go home and get in bed afterwards because I've heard so much. The thing is, that's the ministry God puts you in. And sometimes God puts you with people, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. (laughs) And we'll even say it, Lord, you can't even handle them. I don't know why you put me with them. But the thing is, that's called ministry. Ministry to sinful people can be painful because people do not regard you as someone helping them, ministering to them, guiding them. All they do is think about who. And that's the difference between the Christian who's on assignment and in ministry, that they recognize is not about me. It's about what God has me doing because God has a goal out here that I haven't seen yet that I'm involved in. He sends forth to assign and he also forbids He forbids you to speak to some people. He forbids you to do certain types of ministries, maybe. And then the Holy Spirit, he intercedes. Very quick, then we'll close out. Turn to Acts chapter 8. We won't get to Acts 16, but we'll get to Acts chapter 8. I want you to see this guy, this Ethiopian, I want you to understand, here's the Holy Spirit speaking to Philip. Now, it doesn't tell us down through the lines, every line, that the Holy Spirit said to Philip, say this. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, say this. The Holy Spirit said, Philip, shut your mouth. The Holy Spirit said, no. But because Philip is a Christian, And because the Holy Spirit sent him on this assignment. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't send us somewhere and then abandon us. The Holy Spirit don't give us a task and say, go do it by yourself. The Holy Spirit's right there with you. He's guiding you through it. He's ministering through you. And I like the way the old pastor said it. In ministry... The Holy Spirit takes me and sets me to the side and uses this body to do what he desires to do. He puts me to the side. And sometime when you're in ministry, you got to say, wow. 
Sometimes you shock yourself because you know you. And if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, that you would come out. (laughs) But you are crucifying who? Paul said, I crucify myself daily because of not the old Saul come out. And we learn how to crucify ourselves and consider ourselves dead that the Holy Spirit might use us. So in that chapter 8, picking up in uh, where I want to start at here now. Uh, Let's go to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road. Look at that clear direction. Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasures of Candace. Yeah. Philip, you mean somebody high up. Let me share you number one. I don't care how educated somebody is. If you know the scriptures, you can talk to them. You don't have to back down over education, over that they got a doctor, or they got this, or they got that. If you know the scripture and you're talking to them by Jesus, you got a professor right there in you that you can speak. You can speak. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. This man, for some reason, have gone to Jerusalem seeking God, wanting to know more about God. Because Jerusalem was known as the place where God would be in Jerusalem. All Jews made their trip back to where? Jerusalem to worship. And this man now is going, seeking. If you're seeking God, you don't have to worry about finding him. He's going to reveal himself to you. If you want to know more of him, he's not going to hide himself from you. And he goes down. And the eunuch, important official, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, while sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, just reading that, what does it tell you something about this man? He's reading the book of Isaiah. Not only did he go to worship, but he's picked up some literature or or whatever. I don't know if he had the book prior, but one thing is made known in Scripture here. He's reading the book of Isaiah now. Maybe he did pick it up in Jerusalem, but he is continuing to seek after who? After the Lord. He doesn't understand it, but he's reading it. Now, what else do you see about this man? This man is reading the book of Isaiah. He is an Ethiopian, and most likely he, that native language, Hebrew, was not his, and yet he's reading a book of Isaiah in Hebrew. This brother was educated. This brother was doing what he needed to do to discover what he could discover. But understand this. You can seek after God, but until God reveals himself, you'll never find him. If God doesn't come and reveal himself to us, we definitely cannot go to him. Remember that little game we used to play to your kids? Yeah. One, two, three, all. Three, I forgive it all, but um, four, five, six, uh, or hide and go sleep, or hide and go something, you know. And, and you, you, you got to go find the folks. Hey, 
And, and the issue is, if you have to go find God, you'll never find him if God wouldn't reveal himself. But when you seek after him, and God knows that heart really is seeking him, he's going to reveal himself. He's going to reveal himself. And he's reading this book of Isaiah. And the Spirit says, Hey, Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. In my mind, I was, I was in my study at home, and I'm in my mind, and I kind of got up from my desk at home, and I'm doing this. Because he told Philip to stay near the chariot. The chariot's moving. The man's sitting in the chariot. And I just imagine Philip is running alongside the chariot. And hearing. And then something else takes place. Uh oh, wrong one. Thought come. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? You know why a lot of people don't read the Bible? Because they've never been in a Bible study to begin to gain understanding of Scripture. They don't use the five investigating terms. The what, why, when, where, and then. They don't use them. They just read and think somehow, whoop, it's there. Algebra, you just read it the first time. See if you got it. Calculus, read it the first time. See if you got it. A foreign language, read it a little bit and see if you got it. He ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading, Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Now, I don't think that's a question that really came from Philip, but a question that was developed by the Holy Spirit given to Philip to speak to this man. And then, in 31, is the response. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Remember what Peter talks about? Always be ready to give an answer of those that, what? Ask you about the hope that is in you. And Philip's ready to give an answer. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip, and there's the open door now. Don't try to break into people's lives. Let them open the door for you. And they'll let you know when the door is open. You show them kindness. You show them love. But let them open the doors of their life in different areas that they want to open. Don't you be out there trying to break them down. And he invited him up into the chariot. Come on down with me. Because the passage that the eunuch was reading, look at verse 14. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Who's asking the questions? See, in witnessing, sometimes we're doing all this rather than doing this and responding. We want the individual to ask the questions. We want to give them the freedom to ask the questions. But oftentimes we're the one asking all the questions rather than giving them that freedom to do and for us to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us that we know how to answer that person. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news or the gospel about Jesus. 
And the gospel speaks about what? Jesus. And he starts in that Old Testament and brings him all the way into the New Testament about Jesus Christ. I wish I could have been there to hear that conversation. To hear how the Holy Spirit spoke through Philip. Now, when you come down a little bit further, and it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders. Now, here's the important little area right here. He gave orders to what? Stop! Sometime to really get your hands around Jesus, to understand the scriptures, to understand what God is talking about to you, you got to stop and be still. You just have to stop, drop everything else. This man was heading home. It's important to get home. He's on an assignment maybe. Get home. But yet he stops. And sometime in life, if you want to really know God, you got to stop and be still and listen and hear and do what you've heard. But you got to stop. And that chariot is going along. His driver, could you imagine what his drivers may have heard also? Not only did he only witness to the eunuch, he was witnessing also to whoever was driving the carrier because he gave orders to stop. And sometime in life, you got to stop and cry out to God. You got to stop and pay attention to what God's doing in your life. You got to stop. I never looked at that so important that he stopped everything he was doing in a sense to focus on the things that was important at that point. Knowing God and being baptized. He stopped. But this other little thing is so important here. When they came up out of the water, in verse 39, when they came up out of the water,